We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 598 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. It is the last full day of spring. You know, spring, a time of optimism and hope and good feeling. Hard to have a lot of those things right now in Washington, D.C. sports. Uh, although I did come across this on Monday afternoon, NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, he in a piece that came out on Monday morning, high praise for Commander's quarterback Sam Howell. Uh, Breer wrote that Sam has a, quote, significant lead, end quote, in the quarterback competition with Jacoby Brissett, and that Sam, quote, consistently put a plus arm on display in OTAs and minicamp making throws some quarterbacks won't, and generating plenty of velocity on the ball, end quote. Uh, as I've noted previously, Albert Breer has a good relationship with Commander's head coach Ron Rivera. I would bet my money that this intel that Breer conveyed in the column came from Ron. Uh, now, was this Don Ron simply playing salesman, you know, simply playing hype man for Sam Howell, or was this Ron speaking truth? Hard to say, but it was good to read that. It is nice to have optimism and hope and good feeling. If we can't have those things with our football team in June, then when exactly can we have those things? Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. So we're now two-thirds of the way into this month of June, and we still don't know which NFL team will be the featured team on HBO's Hard Knocks this summer. There are four NFL teams that can be forced to to be the featured team on Hard Knocks this summer due to those teams not meeting certain requirements to be able to say no to being the featured team on Hard Knocks. One of these four teams is the Commanders. Is Washington for the first time ever going to be the featured team on Hard Knocks? Should the Commanders want to be the featured team on Hard Knocks? Coming up next segment, I'm going to chat with NFL Business Insider Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal. Uh, we're going to talk about the Commanders potentially being the Hard Knocks team, and we're going to discuss Ben's reporting on the sale of the Commanders. It was Ben who last Tuesday evening, June 13th, broke the news that NFL owners have been told to reserve two dates, July 20th and August 8th, as dates for a possible special league meeting, presumably for a vote on the sale of the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group. Uh, ben Fisher knows the business of the NFL well, and he's going to spend some time with us next segment. Uh, I then will do more on the Wizards trading Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. We now know a bit more about the trade, including something from NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium 
on Monday that is going to make you want to scream if you're a Wizards fan like me. Uh, And I will discuss the Nationals. Uh, If you are a Nats fan, you may have been screaming on Monday. Uh, The Nats blew a 5-0 third-inning lead in what ended up being an 8-6 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park as starting pitcher Josiah Gray had one of his uh, worst outings of the season. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the Wizards trading Bradley Beal. A tweet from Tom Mirabella. This kind of a trade has been inevitable since the Wizards gave Beal the contract. Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonsis were the only people on earth who did not know this was going to happen. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Tom. I mean, I think a lot of us felt this at the time last July when the Wizards re-signed Beal to the five-year, $251 million Supermax contract. The contract had written all over it the potential to instantly become the latest ultra-regrettable contract in Bullet-slash-Wizards history. The team has had so many regrettable contracts over the years. And when this Bradley Beal Supermax contract got signed, I think a lot of us were like, yeah, uh, this so has the potential to become the latest regrettable bullet slash wizards contract. Uh, Tweet from Michael Samuel, Tommy managed to be worse than Ernie. Thank you for the tweet, Michael. That's an interesting question. Was Tommy Shepard worse at running Wizards basketball operations than Ernie Grunfeld was? You know, this is like the question that came up a few years ago with the Redskins. Was Bruce Allen worse as a Skins executive than Vinny Serrato was? I don't know. I'm not sure that I care. Uh, you know, that we're even having these conversations is the problem, okay? That we're even wondering, was Tommy Shepard worse than Ernie Grunfeld? That we even wondered whether Bruce Allen was worse than Vinny Serrato. The mere fact that we could have these conversations is the problem. A tweet from Moses, Beal was always and will never be more than the third best player on a high caliber team. The Wizards have to stop elevating the mediocre into stardom. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Moses. Well said. Uh, Tweet from Dave Smith. Beal is an aging shooter who plays in just 60% of games and plays 0% defense. (laughs) Glad to move on. New guys running the Wizards might even find a player in the second round, although I hope they find a real player in the first round. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Dave. Yeah, it is imperative that this Wizards new front office of Monumental Basketball President Michael Winger, Wizards General Manager Will Dawkins, and Wizards Senior Vice President of Player Personnel Travis Schlank gets the team to being good at the NBA draft. The Wizards for decades have been terrible at the NBA draft. And uh, we this Thursday night have the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, The Wizards in the 2023 draft have the numbers 8, 42, and 57 overall picks. Email from Jim D. writes, Jim, it's about darn time with the Wizards. You've talked about how the Wizards are the clear number four when it comes to popularity among the big four teams in D.C., and I couldn't agree more. This team, in my mind, has shown me and the fans that it does not care about winning and is comfortable with being one of the also-rans and being one of the laughingstocks of the NBA. To me, Bradley Beal, with his albatross of a contract, has been the face of this mediocrity the past few years. It is time to bottom out and start over with this franchise, and it looks like the first steps are being made. Let's just hope that Ted lets his staff finish the job. And for the record, I don't want him buying the Nationals either. We don't need another beloved franchise of ours to be run into the ground. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. You know, you got to wonder if the Dan Snyder factor has at all played a role in Ted Leonsis making slash greenlighting these major changes. First, establishing a new front office with, remember, outside hires. Now, allowing for Bradley Beal to be traded, presumably to ignite a rebuild. Ted has been uh, stepping outside of his comfort zone. And I do wonder if this is being fueled, at least in part, by Dan Snyder being about to be gone. Dan, as owner of the Skins-slash-Washington football team-slash-Commanders, for the last 24 years, of course, took the overwhelming majority of criticism from Washington, D.C. sports fans. Well, Danny is about to be gone. And that may well shift the focus and shift the venom 
uh, to the owner of the Wizards, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis. The ire of the DC sports fan has been like fixated on Dan for decades. Well, the Dan Snyder conversation is just about done. And so I wonder if Ted has said to himself, hey, I need to get my act together with the Wizards before people start crushing me as they've been crushing Dan. Now, you know, Ted isn't Dan, right? I mean, we never with Ted have had the controversy and scandal that we've had with Dan. But in terms of ineptitude of the team, uh, oh, yeah, there are a lot of parallels between the football team under Dan and the Wizards under Ted. Uh, Fear of being focused on for doing a bad job can be a tremendous motivating factor. Well, not so tremendous is uh, what's going on in the home and auto insurance markets right now. The home and auto insurance markets are messes right now, not unlike our wizards. Uh, We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance, and that's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com and you'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. BMC Insurance, it offers home insurance, auto insurance, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, a big help is if you subscribe to Rate and Review, the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sense or two. Can be more, but doesn't have to be. Uh, But thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and and reviewing. We now are about five weeks away until the start of NFL training camps, and yet we still do not know which team is going to be the team featured on HBO's Hard Knocks this August. Uh, Hard Knocks started in 2001. Hasn't happened every year since then, but has happened in most years. Uh, Washington has never been the featured team on Hard Knocks. Is that about to change? An NFL team does not have to be the featured team on Hard Knocks if any of the following three realities applies to the team. The team has a first-year head coach. The team has made the playoffs in either of the previous two seasons. The team has been featured on Hard Knocks within the last 10 years. There are four NFL teams that do not meet any of those three things and thus can be made to do Hard Knocks this year. The New York Jets, the Chicago Bears, the New Orleans Saints, and yes, the Washington Commanders. Uh, Last year, the announcement for the team that was featured on Hard Knocks in the summer was made in March. Uh, That team was the Detroit Lions. Uh, There actually has been talk of the Lions being the featured Hard Knocks team again 
uh, this coming August. There also now is an in-season hard knocks. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals were the featured team in the in-season version of Hard Knocks for last season. But here we are now, well into June, and very interestingly, there still has been no announcement on the Hard Knocks team for this August. The obvious choice for this year's August Hard Knocks would seem to be the Jets, given that they've traded for quarterback Aaron Rodgers. But the Jets, Bears, and Saints have all come out in various ways saying that uh, those teams are not wanting to do Hard Knocks. The Commanders really have not come out in any significant way saying that they do not want to do hard knocks. In fact, multiple people who cover the team have reported that there are people within the organization who would not mind the team being featured on hard knocks. Uh, My guess would be that uh, one of those people is the team president, Jason Wright. But are we on the verge of the commanders becoming a hard knocks team for the first time. I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast NFL business insider Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal. Uh, ben is going to talk hard knocks with us. Also, is going to discuss his terrific reporting on the sale of the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fisher SBJ, and Fisher is spelled F I S C H E R. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for reading. So with Hard Knocks, the commanders for each of the last two regular seasons have been dead last in the NFL in percent capacity for home games. There very much is a need for the team to boost business. Is there any data or evidence that an NFL team being featured on Hard Knocks leads to an increase in that team's business? Oh, I think on balance, it's it's good for a team, but you've got to you know find the opportunity right to maximize it. You know, I think Hard Knocks works best where you've got, you know, a clear positive direction um, in the in the football side of things, and that there's a clear message to be told. You know, if you've got like a, a new young coach who maybe isn't terribly well known but is impressing people in the market, you can you know become a national figure very quickly on Hard Knocks. Um, you know, it, it's hard to time it though, right? And, and I think that. Generally speaking, it is a minor boon. I don't know if it translates into ticket sales, but it sort of puts a team that might not otherwise be on the national radar on the national radar. And that's certainly good. But, you know, for Washington right now, given the fact that the ownership transition is not quite done and the fact that, you know, that the, the team is, I mean, I certainly don't want to suggest the team is, you know, hopeless. There's, there's every reason to believe they could be in the mix for, uh, you know, a playoff uh, position. But, you know, you don't have that franchise quarterback locked down. There's still a lot of question marks. Uh, you know, I don't know if you get a huge boost from it this year just because there's not a super clear narrative that would come out of it. You know, maybe maybe next year is the right time for it. I don't know. Um, to answer your question, yes, it does provide a boost, but I think it depends a lot on sort of the, the, the raw materials you're working with there. And I think of a team like, Detroit, you know, would be a team that would, you know, really benefit from because it's sort of that clear trajectory upwards. What's notable, too, is that the August Hard Knocks usually starts around the first week of August. Uh, You this past Tuesday evening, June 13th, broke the news that NFL owners have been told to reserve two dates, July 20th and August 8th as dates for a possible special league meeting, presumably for a vote on the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group. So if the owners don't end up approving the sale until August 8th, a hard knocks on the commanders could start without the sale of the team having been finalized. I think the timing just doesn't quite work out for hard knocks. That's not to say, look, the guys who produce and direct hard knocks, they can make a story out of anything. I'm sure it would be great if they did it in Washington right now, but I I don't think it's set up for a maximum bang for your buck. And, you know, I I think also there's, there's a strong case to be made to maybe the time has passed. Uh, the, the Hard Knocks' time has passed. When Hard Knocks first debuted, we weren't just a wash in team content all the time. It was sort of special. Now every team, every day, has extraordinary amount of video clips from their OTAs and their mini camps and everything else. And you know, I just think the marginal gain from doing it isn't what it once was. Do a lot of people watch Hard Knocks? I know that it's tricky to measure television ratings for shows on a subscription service like HBO. Yeah, I, I don't think there's been a um, a lot of real firm numbers on that for that reason, because it's not Nielsen rated. Um, 
I know that just sort of casually around the league, people don't talk about it the way even even five years ago it was a bigger deal than it is now. And that's one of the reasons that I haven't kept up with this guessing game over who's going to get it. It just doesn't seem to have the cachet or the relevance it once did. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, as for the sale of the Commanders, uh, like I said, you broke the news that NFL owners have been told to reserve July 20th and August 8th as dates for a possible special league meeting, presumably for a vote on the sale of the Commanders to the Josh Harris Group. Is one date for the special league meeting more likely than the other? Um, I, I don't really have a lot of good insight on the difference between the two days. Um, based on what we know about where things stand with the finance committee, I would think July 20th would, should give us plenty of time. Um, you know, there's a lot of brain power and a lot of money in terms of, uh, man hours and, um, desire to get this done quickly. And July 20th is still more than a month away. Um, so I am certainly going on the assumption that August 8th would be more of a failsafe if for some reason the 20th is, uh, is a day, is a complicated day or, you know, there's, there's always some loose end on these sorts of things that could push it a couple of days. But based on what we know right now, you'd think they'd have plenty of time for the finance committee to give this the final sign off and give a recommendation to the full owners in time for uh, July 20th. Yeah, this whole thing has become a little curious. We know that the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group is going to get approved. But even with these financial structure changes to the deal, May 12th was the day on which we got the formal joint announcement from commanders co-owners and co-CEOs Dan and Tanya Snyder and from Josh Harris announcing the uh, purchase and sale agreement, as it has been called. May 12th to August 8th <laughs> would be about three months. Why should it potentially take that long to get the approval? You uh, in late May reported, quote, the Harris Group's current debt-heavy capital structure and complicated membership have a lot of NFLers uncomfortable, end quote. Uh, what exactly has had a lot of NFLers uncomfortable? Um, well, there are there are a variety of reasons. Some of it is just the league is unfamiliar with this sort of thing, and then some of it is you know legitimate concerns over the stability of ownership. Uh, I'll go with uncomfortable first. That you know teams being worth six billion dollars is unprecedented. You know, a decade ago, teams would top out at one to two billion dollars, which means like when David Tepper bought the Panthers, the man literally just dipped into his bank account and gave Jerry Richardson $2.2 billion. Um, I'm sure it's a, I'm slightly exaggerating, but it was very straightforward. At $6 billion, you know, even Josh Harris, who is a very wealthy man, bringing in other partners who all need to be vetted individually. You know, there's some debt. He's a private equity guy. He, he understands that, um, you know, the way you maximize your returns through some of the things about how the cost of debt versus the cost of equity, um, putting a lot of debt into the deal, um, and that's something the NFL doesn't like. It's just more complicated, and it's not something that owners had traditionally had to do to get these deals done. So first of all, it's just a different set of facts. Second of all, um, you know, at the owners' meeting in Minneapolis, it wasn't directly related to this, but uh, Roger Goodell said um, it was a question about whether institutional capital would ever be welcomed into the league. And I forget his exact quote, so I apologize here. But he basically said our rules are to maximize stability, not necessarily to maximize the actual asset value of these teams. And I think that's a really good rule of thumb for anyone who's following the NFL. They're not trying to make the Washington Commanders the absolute most valuable they can possibly do it. Obviously, they want a big number there, but it's, it's, it's important to them that this is stable and that there's no surprises in the ownership ranks over the course of decades as it is to necessarily make the most money at all times. You see that the way the NFL does business all the time. You know, they let legal, they let gambling be legal for a few years before they did sponsorship deals, with the sports books. They figured better to let the NBA and baseball figure this out. And then once we're confident where we are, then we'll do our deals. And that, that, that um, conservatism and uh, and caution has served the NFL well. And I think that's another part of it here. They're just being very deliberate with a very complicated deal. We're talking commanders with NFL Business Insider Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal. Along the lines of what you just talked about, something that this process of the sale of the commanders has highlighted is, to me, and I'm guessing to a lot of people, the antiquated nature 
of some of the NFL's rules for buying a team, including the league not allowing institutional capital. Do you think that this process of the sale of the commanders is going to lead to a modernizing of league rules for buying a team? Or do you think that it's more likely that the league sticks with its uh, conservative approach? Yeah, I think that they already have effectively. I think that it's probably it's it's likely to come out that they are doing things that constitute a change in some of the rules for Josh Harris. Um, you know, I don't think I think he has you know made the changes they'd wanted, but also there are things that in a perfect world they might not do. But it's the cost of getting Dan Snyder out of the league. Um, I think that um, actually allowing institutional capital, as in private equity funds, to invest in teams is something the NFL still would much rather not do. I'm not saying that's not going to come to bear. There are levers they can pull short of that, though. Um, they could greatly increase the limit on debt funding for teams. You know, the debt, the limit is you know roughly $1 billion. Most bankers would be happy to loan three times that to somebody to buy an NFL team because you know, a golden retriever can make money in the NFL. So it's not a risk. You know, the, the NFL is far more conservative than banks would allow. So you can do that. You can do other things as far as, um, you know, increase the size of limited partner pools. They will change rules just because I think the number of people that can write a check under the old rules for $6 billion is vanishingly small. So they're going to have to do something at some point. But I would expect them to only make the changes they feel are absolutely necessary to get deals done. Again, they're not trying to optimize the market. They're trying to facilitate specific transactions. Does the vote of NFL owners to approve the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group have to be an in-person vote, or can the vote be done virtually? You know, I asked some people that. I hadn't gotten an answer back on this. I I am not aware of any reason that it would have to be in person. I know they prefer that for various reasons. But as far as I know, this is like any other league business matter that as long as it's a bona fide meeting, they could do it by Zoom. You would think and you would think that that would make things a lot easier and maybe even quicker. Uh, We know that approval of the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group requires at least 24 of the 32 NFL ownerships voting yes, given especially how bad the NFL wants Dan Snyder out as owner of the team. Is there reason to think that there wouldn't be an overwhelming yes, even a unanimous yes? I I would be stunned if there was any no votes on this. Um... I think that there are very real concerns about the financial aspects of the deal and the structure of it all, but that's being handled at the finance committee. And once it's to the full 32, that means by definition, the finance committee has voted on it and recommended it to the group for approval. And I'm sure that, you know, I think there's eight owners on the finance committee. Those eight have done a lot of work on this and they've probably raised some concerns and some of them probably would have voted against the deal without the changes Harris has agreed to make. But the other 24 who aren't on the finance committee, they are more than happy to let the guys on the committee do the heavy lifting on this. And if they give them a thumbs up, then everybody else will enthusiastically give a thumbs up too. So, It depends on how you define a bid, but as best as we can tell, there ultimately were no more than three bids on the commanders. Those from the Josh Harris Group, Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolopoulos, and Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. Are you surprised that there weren't more bids, or should we not have expected more bids? Well, I was a little surprised because, you know, just last year, the Broncos sold for $4.65 billion, And there, by most accounts, there were four pretty serious bidders in that mix. And I think the NFL was excited about that because the higher the number gets, the more concern is that someday no one's going to be able to bid. So I think they were very pleased about the energy coming out of the Denver bidding process, considerably less so on this one. This, you know, look, if they get to the finish line, all's well, it ends well, and everyone's going to be happy. But very real warning signs in the way the market came together for this. That, you know, you could sometimes you have to read between the lines here because I've never seen a situation where there's been so many different things reported about this sales process that contradicted each other. You know, reported colleagues, reporters of mine I generally trust would be reporting diametrically opposing things. So you have to read between the lines on things like, 
to what extent was Jeff Bezos ever really serious about this? You know, it's not entirely clear, but some of the reporting I thought was pretty clearly Snyder's camp trying to create an image of um, more competitiveness than there was in it, trying to lure Bezos into the bidding, a sense that they didn't quite have as liquid a marketplace as they had hoped. Um you know, I guess, like I said, all is well, it ends well. But I think they're starting to, there's, there were some potential warning signs in this one, for sure. I'm glad that you mentioned the reporting on the sale of the commanders. On the podcast, I've talked about the reporting. It really has been all over the place. I mean, Forbes on December 22nd reported that Dan Snyder had received bids for the commanders that were, quote, well north, end quote, of $7 billion, that's kind of one of the things I was talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And the intel for that report from Forbes pretty clearly was uh, fake news from Dan Snyder's camp. So it's funny. Ultimately, the sale price being $6.05 billion, I'm almost like, hmm, that seems low given that we had heard $7 billion. Although, again, the $7 billion number wasn't for real. The record sale price for an NFL team had been the $4.65 billion that the Walton Penner Group paid for the Denver Broncos in a sale that was finalized last August, going from $4.65 billion to $6.05 billion in less than a year is a significant jump. Bottom line, is what the commanders are being sold for more or less what you thought would be the case? Um, you know, you take a step back and say, like, you know, say a year ago, let's say if, if, if the day the Broncos had been sold, you'd have that thought process. Hey, let's say Snyder sells Washington. What's that draw? You think, I bet he could get six. You know, the comparative difference between the Washington market and the Denver market. Um, but I would have said six maybe would have been a little bit of a stretch goal. So I think he's got to be really pleased with this. You know, there's some aspects that have been reported of the Harris deal that suggest it wasn't really six and that maybe Dan and they and, and the Harris group did some things so they could say it was six, but in fact, it's probably you know, a little less than that in just terms of how they structure things. Um, I don't think, you know, the seven thing created this standard that we've fallen well short of, but all of these asset storylines in pro sports, I feel like regular people like me and you throw around other people's $500 million. <laughs> more like, oh, okay, for five, five, well, six or six, five, like, that's $500 million we just sort of casually escalated the bid to. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this is $1,400 million more than the Broncos sold for less than a year ago. I think that's pretty damn good, even though there was a lot of frothy talk of seven or eight or whatever, you know? Do you think that the NFL wishes that it was Amazon founder Jeff Bezos who was buying the commanders? Or does the league not really care who buys a team as long as the uh, person buying the team meets certain standards? Um, I think the NFL doesn't really care who ends up buying the commanders as long as that person is a solid individual who is not going to create problems for him like Dan Snyder did. I think that uh, the stability and the reliability of the owner is probably more important than the money because money's green no matter whose money it is. Um, look, Bezos, they, they all things being equal, they like more rich owners. So in that sense, Bezos would be a great win for the NFL, but it creates other issues too. You know, I, Amazon is a broadcast partner and Amazon Web Services is a sponsor. And, you know, he doesn't do day to day with Amazon like he once did. But still, that raises questions. And, you know, another thing you got to think about is owners want their fellow owners to be wealthy and stable and good people. But they don't necessarily want them to be people who are so powerful that they sort of can operate independently of the league. This isn't a perfect comp, but once in a while, people have suggested that Condoleezza Rice could replace Roger Goodell as commissioner. And one of the reasons that that doesn't seem real likely to me is that Condoleezza Rice would be harder to control because she's got like independent political identities and allies around the world. And, you know, wouldn't necessarily be beholden to the owners in the same way that, you know, a a, a, an internal candidate for commissioner would be. And I think Bezos would trigger some of those concerns in the ownership ranks. Like he's so disproportionately wealthy and powerful compared to the rest of them that, you know, he wouldn't necessarily have to be a team player. 
No, he wouldn't. Uh, it was reported that Jeff Bezos hired a well-connected investment firm, the uh, New York-based Allen and Company, to look into buying the commanders. But Bezos, per reports that came out on April 12th, ultimately decided not to bid on the team. Now that we do have some distance from all of the stuff that was out there about Bezos potentially buying the team, what do you think the truth is about the extent of his interest in buying the team? Well, it is true that that um, Bezos hired a bank to at least do some preliminary work on this deal, to at least kick the tires. Um, I don't know anything beyond that. Um, there's no suggestion that he ever put together a serious bid or was even preparing a serious bid. You know, for all I know, that 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 banking work might have been an afternoon. Um, so I, I guess I, I, I my sense of things is that he was never really a serious candidate for this, even though he did at least take a look. I, you know, maybe that's just him doing his due diligence. Um, but no, I don't think he was ever seriously part of the mix. All right. NFL Business Insider Ben Fisher of Sports Business Journal. Great information. Ben, thanks a lot. All the best. Sure thing. Anytime. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, bad contracts, of course, are everywhere in sports, but has any team in sports over the last, say, 15 years had as many bad contracts as the Wizards have had? The Gilbert Arenas contract, July 2008, six years, $111 million. Uh, the Jan Mahinmi contract, July 2016, four years, $64 million. The John Wall contract, July 2017, a four-year Supermax extension worth $171 million that began with the 2019-2020 season. The Davis Bertans contract, November 2020, five years, $80 million. And now the Bradley Beal Supermax contract, July 2022, five years, $251 million with the only <laughs> no trade clause in a current NBA contract. Few teams do bad contracts like our NBA team. The damn Washington Wizards. Exactly. Thank you, Stephen A. Smith. You know, sometimes your initial reaction to something is that the something is really bad. But then upon reflection, you realize that the something isn't so bad. Uh, yeah, that's not this Wizards trade of Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. The Wizards new front office of monumental basketball president Michael Winger, Wizards general manager Will Dawkins, and Wizards senior vice president of player personnel Travis Schlenk was put in an impossible position with the Wizards going nowhere and Beal being just one season into this Supermax contract and the contract having 
the absurd no trade clause. And so the Wizards have struck this deal with the Phoenix Suns in which the Wizards are getting back pennies on the dollar. We on Sunday afternoon had the multiple reports of the Wizards having agreed to trade Beal to the Suns for a package that is expected to include Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second round picks and a pick swap or pick swaps. As I said on Monday's show, episode 597, I do not blame Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlenk for the uh, poultry return in this trade. These guys did the best that they could with a mess of a situation, made even worse by this potential conflict of interest of Beal's agent being Mark Bartlestein and the Suns' chief executive officer being Mark's son, Josh Bartlestein. I'm surprised and actually disappointed that this isn't a bigger talking point, especially among national NBA people. And look, maybe everything with this trade was done on the up and up, but the potential for conspiring, the potential for chicanery uh, by the Bartlesteins, uh, given the no-trade clause, was very much here. And speaking of that hideous no-trade clause, take a listen to this from NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium on Monday on FanDuel TV. I think the only way this deal happens is because Bradley Beal has a no-trade clause. That's literally the only reason he wound up in Phoenix. So Miami, Milwaukee, Sacramento, there were other teams even besides those. I'm told that made bids, made offers. And Washington, I'm told, had better offers on the table. But at the end of the day, Bradley Beal got to pick his choice, pick where he wanted to go. So how about that? How about that? Sham Sharania, quote, Washington, I'm told, had better offers on the table. But at the end of the day, Bradley Beal got to pick his choice, pick where he wanted to go, end quote. If you had any doubt about this moronic, idiotic, low IQ, no trade clause that the Wizards gave Bradley Beal, ultimately screwing the Wizards a race those doubts. I could not stand (laughs) hearing that on Monday. Uh, Anyway, this was ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN SportsCenter on Monday morning on the trade market for Bradley Beal. Listen, there is a new collective bargaining agreement in place, a very different salary cap uh, structure. And while Beal did hold a no trade clause, and that certainly gave him a lot of leverage in these talks, he was open to a number of different destinations, I'm told. I think, but for most teams, uh, virtually all, uh, taking on Beal's contract uh, was uh, essentially something that uh, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for around the league. Washington got the best deal he could get in the marketplace. And now Matt Ishbia, the Phoenix Suns, uh, have a new big three in the desert. Yes, they do. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Bradley Beal. Maybe one day our team will have something like that. Um, So the NBA has this new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, The new CBA between the NBA and the NBA Players Association was ratified on April 26th, will go into effect on July 1st. Uh, This is a seven-year agreement that runs through the 2029-2030 season. A key aspect of the new CBA is its attempt to prevent super teams, which, you know, sounds so funny now given what the Suns are doing. But the new CBA establishes a salary spending threshold known as the second apron, uh, which is $17.5 million above the luxury tax threshold. The second apron has been put in place to prevent exactly what the Suns are doing, collecting three or more max contract players together on one team. As ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst wrote in a piece that came out on Sunday night, quote, if a team exceeds the second apron, the rules crush free agency options, trade options, and even future draft pick options, end quote. Well, the Suns are saying we don't care about 
No second apron. Uh, What we're waiting on now are the specifics of the Bradley Beal trade. Woj on Monday afternoon tweeted that in addition to Beal and Jordan Goodwin, the Wizards are including Isaiah Todd in this trade with the Suns. Uh, What we're also waiting on is what's going to happen with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, CP3. He is entering his age 38 season. He is coming off a 2022-2023 regular season in which he averaged a career-low 13.9 points per game and had his worst true shooting percentage since the 2006-2007 season. True shooting percentage is a version of shooting percentage that factors in threes being worth more than twos and factors in free throws. Uh, Chris Paul is a declining player. He's an aging player. Nothing wrong with that. The guy has had a great career. Uh, He has two seasons at $30.8 million per season left on his contract, although not all of the money is guaranteed. What happens with CP3 here is going to be really interesting. And hopefully what happens is something that is beneficial to the Wizards, uh, you know, as much as they can maybe somehow benefit from something in this entire Bradley Beal debacle. But here was Adrian Wojnarowski on SportsCenter on Monday morning on Chris Paul's future with the Wizards. Probably not with the Wizards. They're going to take a few more days before this trade is finalized, perhaps, Uh, and see if there's a third team they can move Chris Paul on. Could they expand this trade uh, to add another team uh, and his $30 million salary for this season? Uh, May not be easy. Uh, I think certainly there's a lot of interest around the league in Chris Paul. Not at that number, though. Not taking on that contract. You know, another uh, possible avenue for Chris Paul may be if they can't find a trade and they just solidify this two-team deal, Ryan, then Washington, Chris Paul, they can talk about a contract buyout. Chris Paul then could pick his team in free agency. Uh, in that scenario, watch for the Los Angeles Clippers. All right. So it certainly does not look like Chris Paul will actually be playing for the Wizards. What's funny is this. If Paul somehow does end up playing for the Wizards, then that'll mean that the Wizards, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Houston Rockets all will have cycled through the same three big money and fading point guards, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, and Chris Paul. If Paul does play for the Wizards, all three of these guys, Wall, Westbrook, and Paul, will have played for the Wizards, the Clippers, and the Rockets. How about that? If that doesn't speak to the modern NBA, I don't know what does. Uh, The Wizards, in embarking on this rebuild, need to find a way to accumulate first-round picks. I'm not breaking news in saying that, but like, I really think that that needs to be a uh, guiding light, you know, a North Star in all of this. Get first round picks. Can the Wizards in shedding the Bradley Beal contract uh, now take on some other bad contracts in exchange for first round picks? You know, we also have the Kyle Kuzma and Chris Dapps Porzingis player option decisions. Each guy reportedly must decide by Wednesday whether to exercise a player option for next season. Kuzma's player option is for $13 million. Porzingis's player option is for $36 million. There's no point at this point in keeping either guy long term. Uh, can the Wizards do a sign and trade with one or both of those guys in order to get a first round pick or first round picks? Uh, now, look, Porzingis could opt in. And so maybe you treat Porzingis as a trade chip for this coming season or for next offseason via a sign and trade. But to get the idea here, the idea here is to get first round picks. The Wizards are set to be loaded with second round picks. uh, But what you need in a rebuild are first round picks for both drafting and trading purposes. Uh, It's hard to get caught up in Bradley Beal's legacy with the Wizards. I'll be honest, I don't have a huge appetite for that, okay? Uh, But he does leave the Wizards as one of the more prolific players in Bullet Slash Wizards history. So I do want to at least acknowledge that. Uh, The Wizards took Beal with the number three pick in the 2012 NBA draft out of Florida. Uh, 11 seasons with the Wizards, 2012-2013 through 2022-2023. Bradley Beal leaves the Wizards number one in franchise history in regular season made threes and regular season three-point attempts. Number two in franchise history in regular season points. Number two 
in franchise history in regular season made field goals, number three in franchise history in regular season games, and number three in franchise history in regular season minutes. Uh, Beal over the 2019-2020 and 2020-2021 seasons averaged at least 30.5 points in each regular season. Back-to-back 30-point-per-game seasons. Uh, And Beal in the Wizards' biggest game since the 1979 NBA Finals came up big. Uh, May 15, 2017, the Wizards' 115-105 loss at the Boston Celtics in Eastern Conference Semis Game 7. Beal in that game played for a game-high 45 minutes, 55 seconds, went 5-10 on threes, 7-12 on twos, and 9-10 on free throws, and finished with 38 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, versus two turnovers and two steals. The Wizards' best player in that game was not John Wall. The Wizards' best player in that game was Bradley Beal. But of course, it is a big problem that the Wizards' biggest game since the 1979 NBA Finals was a Game 7 in the second round of an NBA postseason. Uh, As I keep saying, the Bullets slash Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, and the team has not had a 50-win regular season since the 1978-1979 season. These are harsh, pathetic realities that need to change. And trading away Bradley Beal, even for pennies on the dollar, is part of trying to enact that change. Well, the Nationals have been losing a lot lately, uh, but what happened on Monday was especially bad. The Nats blew a 5-0 third-inning lead in what ended up being an 8-6 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats now have lost 15 of their last 19 games. The Nats now are 27-44. and That is the worst record in the National League. And what happened on Monday happened against a Cardinals team that is one of the biggest disappointments in baseball. The Cardinals, even with this win, are just 30 and 43. Uh, There was a lot to this Nats loss on Monday. You start with the Nats starting pitcher, Josiah Gray. Uh, As we on this podcast have talked about, Gray lately has not been at his best. And even when he lately has gotten good results, he has had, shall we say, questionable process, you know, bad peripherals. Well, Josiah Gray on Monday had one of his worst starts this season. He allowed six runs in five innings. He gave up nine hits, two home runs, a triple, a double, and five singles. Uh, Now, he did have six strikeouts versus one walk, and he did throw a good number of strikes. He over 102 pitches threw 64 strikes versus 38 balls. So actually, the peripherals for Gray on Monday weren't terrible, but the giving up of nine hits was bad, and the giving up of six runs in five innings was bad. Uh, Gray, in the top of the third, allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff single by Paul DeYoung to center field. Gray gave up a stand-up RBI triple by Tommy Edmond to deep center field to cut the Nats lead to 5-1 as center fielder Victor Robles off initially coming in on the ball ended up seeing the ball bounce off his uh, extended backhanded glove while leaping on the warning track and then Gray gave up a one-out RBI single by Paul Goldschmidt to center field to cut the Nats lead to 5-2. Gray in the top of the fifth allowed four runs, uh, all of which came over four hits to begin the inning, and three of the hits were extra base hits. Uh, Gray gave up a leadoff double by Paul DeYoung down the right field line. Gray gave up a single by Tommy Edmond to right field, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02, and then came back-to-back home runs. Gray gave up a game-tying three-run homer by Brendan Donovan to right field to tie the game at five. The homer went a projected 402 feet per stat cast, and Gray gave up a solo homer by Paul Goldschmidt to left field for a 6-5 Cardinals lead. That homer went a projected 406 feet per stat cast. You know, you look at Josiah Gray this regular season, he over his first 10 starts had an ERA at 265. You love that, obviously. But Gray now over his last five starts has an ERA of 581. Uh, not good. This was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday evening on Josiah Gray. Just, you know, he, he just couldn't finish, finish his off today. Um, left a couple balls, a couple balls up in his own, fell behind 2-0 on, on Donovan. You know, got, got a ball, you know, up in his own. And, I mean, uh, 
you know, just on, with a team like that, you just you know you got to make your pitches, get the two strikes, you got to finish them off. So um, today, just couldn't do that. No, he could not. Uh, also not good on Monday was the Nats' offense off a great start to the game. Uh, the Nats over the first two innings scored five runs. The Nats over the final seven innings scored just one run. Uh, the Nats for the game totaled 11 hits. Eight of the 11 hits came over the first two innings. And the Nats ran themselves into multiple outs. Corey Dickerson, he on Monday was the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter. He went one for four with a two-run single. Dickerson in the Nats three-run first had a two-out first pitch, two-run single to right center field for a 3 nothing Nats lead. But he then was thrown out in his attempt to advance to third base on Dominic Smith's two-out single to right field for the third out. Luis Garcia, he on Monday was the Nats starting second baseman at number two batter. He went one for three with a two-run single, an RBI sack fly, and an RBI ground out. He actually had four RBI uh, despite going one for three with a single. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, two-run second, a one-out, two-run opposite field single to left center field on a one-two pitch for a 5-0 Nats lead, but he then was thrown out at second base in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. Now, this was kind of a strange play. Garcia overslid the bag in sliding around the initial attempted tag by Cardinals second baseman Nolan Gorman. Uh, Garcia initially was ruled safe, but the Cardinals successfully challenged the play. And Victor Robles, uh, no stranger to blunders on the base paths. Uh, Robles on Monday as it had starting center fielder and number eight batter, one for four with a double. Uh, he in the bottom of the fourth had a one out first pitch double on a chopper down the left field line, but he then got doubled up at second base on a one out first pitch, three six line out double play off the bat of C.J. Abrams. Now, the Robles out, I thought, actually was tough because Abrams scorched that liner, and I think in a lot of ways that was just an unfortunate play for the Nats. But still, ultimately, not one, not two, but three instances in this game of the Nats running themselves into an out in some way. All of these instances happened over the first four innings, and the Nats ended up blowing that 5 nothing third inning lead. But the Nats, to their credit, did score the five runs over the first two innings. Uh, Lane Thomas, another good game. He is the Nats starting right fielder and number one batter, went two for four with two doubles, a hit by pitch, and a stolen base. Thomas in the Nats three-run first had a leadoff full count double to left field. Thomas in the Nats two-run second, a one-out double off the left field warning track. And Thomas in the Nats one-run seventh, a one-out hit by pitch, and a steal of second base on an uncontested double steal. So Lane Thomas on Monday, a factor in each of the run-scoring innings for the Nats. Uh, Lane Thomas's team-leading OPS for this regular season now is at 834, including a slugging percentage that's up to 493. He is approaching a 500 slugging percentage. Uh, Jamer Candelario was back. Uh, he was an Nats starting third baseman and number three batter at his return from a one-game absence caused by a right thumb bone bruise. He went two for four with two singles. And good to see C.J. Abrams, who has been really struggling as a batter, get on base three times on Monday. He is an at starting shortstop and number nine batter, two for three with two singles, a walk, and a stolen base. Abrams in the Nats two-run second, a one-out single to right field despite having been down in the count at one point. One-two. The Nats bullpen on Monday, four Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in four innings. Jordan Weems tossed a perfect top of the six with two strikeouts. He, over the last few days, has looked very good. Uh, but then came Carl Edwards Jr. He, in the top of the seventh, allowed two runs on two walks and then two singles for an 8-5 Cardinals lead. The second walk and the two singles all came with two outs. Uh, Edwards, in this appearance, threw 30 pitches, a mere 15 strikes versus 15 balls. And speaking of strikes to balls ratios, uh, Chad Cool on Monday. Now, Cool tossed a scoreless top of the eighth despite issuing a walk and a hit by pitch. He, in his appearance, threw 17 pitches, just six strikes versus 11 balls. That's hard to do, man. Throw nearly twice as many balls as strikes without giving up a run. Uh, I'm not sure if we should be impressed by what Cool did or shaming Cool for what he did. But anyway, uh, we then saw Kyle Finnegan. He on Monday tossed a perfect top of the ninth in just his fifth appearance in a game this month. Uh, you know, Finnegan, in theory, is an ads number two reliever, but he just has not been getting much work lately. Game two against the Cardinals, Tuesday night at 7.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 599. One episode away from history. Uh, we'll include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also on Wednesday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Tuesday night at 7.05 of Game 2 of a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park. The O's on Tuesday evening at 6.40 have Game 1 of a big two-game series at the American League East leading and Major League leading Tampa Bay Rays. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. I think the only way this deal happens is because Bradley Beal has a no-trade clause. That's literally the only reason he wound up in Phoenix. So Miami, Milwaukee, Sacramento, there were other teams even besides those. I'm told that made bids, made offers. And Washington, I'm told, had better offers on the table. But at the end of the day, Bradley Beal got to pick his choice, pick where he wanted to go. The damn Washington Wizards! Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.